0: Good morning. Will you join me in the prayer for guidance? Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit,
1: that as the Scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen.
0: Well, good morning, dear family. Um, our scripture lesson this morning is from Mark 7:14 through 23. When he had called all the multitude to himself he said to them, "Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come Out of him those are the things that defile a man if anyone has ears to hear let him hear when he had entered a house away from the crowd his disciples asked him concerning the parable so he said to them are you thus without understanding also Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside can defile him because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated thus purifying all foods? And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For within Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornifications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, All these evil things come from within and defile a man. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: There is a, a real sense in which sometimes when you're approaching a scripture nowadays in our in our culture it's hard to it's hard to share a scripture as a pastor that you say, Wow, this sounds kinda negative or this doesn't seem in uh, in step with our culture—it doesn't seem in step with what people are saying out there in our culture, and so you hear Jesus giving you this list of adultery and sexual sin, and talking about uh, immorality and envy and insults and arrogance and foolishness—all these things coming out of the human, out of the human heart. That sounds so negative, and we would counter with that and say, "Yeah, but Jesus, there's lots of good things come out of the human heart too. Why are you being so negative?" I think that's part of the problem today: our ears, our hearts are not in tune with the Scripture anymore. You know, that's why we have a nation. We had a group of leaders, of men, to varying degrees, but, but all of them were in some way tuned into Scripture. The Bible was the primary book of the age and had been for some time. And each of these men would have been familiar with its basic teachings and the morality of it, and you can go back into their writings. Uh, The current fashion is to try to say, oh, these men weren't all Christians, and they weren't. But the fact of the matter is, whether or not uh, they were a member of the Baptist church or the Unitarian church, they all were deeply influenced in the morality by the Scriptures. The culture was influenced by the Scriptures. And so when they said that uh, that, uh, all men are created equal, And that we have these inalienable rights that have been given to us by our creator, that they are endowed to us. That wasn't just coming off the top of their heads. They didn't sit around in a vacuum and come up with these great things. Uh, That would have been very impressive to see a group of so many come together and all just suddenly have the same light bulb that goes off in their head and say, hey, I think life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are really important. It didn't come from nowhere. It came from their familiarity with the Scriptures. You see, John 3.16 says what? The God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved the world. God didn't just love King George, the royalty. He didn't just, just love the people who happened to be perfect in every way. But He loved the whole world. That whoever believes in Him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. And then, you know, we have liberty. What does Jesus say in His proclamation in Nazareth when He begins His ministry? When He says, this is why I have come. To set at liberty. Those who are prisoners. Those who are imprisoned in any way. By their hearts or by other men. I've come to set them at liberty. So life and liberty and what else? The pursuit of happiness. You say, well, does the Bible talk about happiness? The common idea today is that the Bible is about trying to snuff out happiness and make people miserable because you've got to follow all these rules, right? But absolutely not. Read the Psalms. We're called to come into his gates with thanksgiving, to enter his courts with praise, to rejoice. And Paul makes this a command in our lives. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll repeat this in case you didn't hear it the first time. Rejoice. And so all of those things, as you read through the Declaration of Independence, are coming out of a deeply set of morals that come out of the hearts of these men because they have been placed into them. If they had not known the Scriptures, they would not have known these principles. And so today, when we talk about, go to the next slide there, Gray. When we talk about, as I showed this to you, if you were here last year, let your heart be your compass. This idea in our, in our culture today, this is in a school restroom. On the mission trip, I saw this constantly. Every time I'd brush my teeth, I'd look up, let your heart be your compass. So I had a lot of time to think about this. And I thought, well, that's a dangerous thing. Jesus just said, all these things come out of the human heart. And so if your human heart is filled with a, uh, a longing for another woman who is not your wife, well, just, just follow your heart, right? If your human heart is filled with jealousy for somebody else that, that begins to come into a hate for that person, well, do what you can to destroy that person, right? And then, you know, I looked it up on the Internet, and here's a Psychology Today uh, article, uh, a non-religious article saying, this is terrible advice. Let your heart be your compass. Follow your heart. Terrible advice in life. We have brains. (laughs) We have reason. We have times when when we need to stop and contemplate and take everything into consideration rather than just to go off and follow impulses of the heart. And so that's why I wanted to, to bring this to you today and in connection with the Scripture from Mark, which just happened to be the Scripture for today where Jesus is talking about the human heart. And how our concern should be not on the outward way that people dress and the things that they eat and and whether they use the left hand or the right hand, all these rules that they had in his culture. But we need to be concerned about the human heart because that's where all these things reside. Later on, Jesus will tell another uh, story about a man who had a demon uh, cleaned out of his heart. He was possessed by this demon and the demon leaves But nothing goes into the heart, it just remains in there, a vacuum. And you know what nature hates? A vacuum. It's going to fill it. And Jesus says, but you know, the man turned out worse off than when he began with that one demon because as soon as that demon went out, seven more came into it. So right now we have a culture, well, this is really important because my volume just went up. Uh, It must be. Right now we have a culture which essentially is trying to raise children in a vacuum you see this this saying really is a doesn't say anything about what is in your heart because that we don't have the right to tell you what should be in your heart that's up to you so you can have nothing in your heart you can fill it with all kinds of of uh, worthless empty things or you can try to fill it with good philosophy or you can try to fill it with faith that's where we're at in the culture. This is the danger point of our culture today. So, so it's 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 no surprise to me when I just read this article. I, I have never seen the show The Bachelorette, uh, and I'm confirmed that I'm not going to watch it now. Uh, one of the uh, if 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 you watch the show, raise your no. You don't have to raise your hand, but you may know the person I'm talking about. Apparently, she's a contestant on the show, and she uh, is a Christian. She lets everybody know she's a Christian, but here's her Christian philosophy. Uh, She confesses that she has slept with different men, not married, but she says, that's okay because Jesus loves me and he doesn't judge me. Whatever I've done, he's just cleansed it away. So she has no intention to change anything about her life because it doesn't matter what she does. In the old days, in a highfalutin word, and a theological word, this was very common in the Old Testament, I mean in the first century church, and had to be addressed by Paul. It's called antinomianism, which means against the law, meaning I'm living free in Christ, and therefore there are no laws that bind me to anything, and we see that today. We see that today in today's world. I don't want to be bound down by rules. Don't put your rules upon me. And uh apparently one of the male contestants on the show is also a professing Christian and he has said some things about what she has said, and he's not very popular right now because he's a meanie. You know, he's judging her. He's just saying, Hey, I'm thinking of leaving the show because I'm not interested in someone who has that kind of of faith in Christ that they would live any way that they want. And I don't want, I, I have lived my whole life preparing for that person who God is going to give me to be my wife. And I'm not interested in somebody who doesn't see that as being God's will. And so there's this little battle, cultural battle, between culture and religion going on and faith going on there. It's very interesting. Also, we see this is, I heard it on NPR recently. I heard a show where they, they talked about this. It was in the New York Times recently, uh, a, a, a college professor and then some others who are coming out and saying that we have to stop condemning pe- pedophilia because these persons are born that way and therefore. Now, they're not necessarily saying they approve of, of what you would call forced pedophilia, but they, they, they say it's a terrible thing to condemn this person who is born this way to a life of not being able to express their love for a child. Yeah, you know, Because we're wide open. We've tossed the scriptures aside. We disrespect faith. I see that in our media all the time. But what's replacing it? Seven demons coming back into the vacuum? Is that what we have? So let your heart be your compass. Not, not very good uh, advice there. Uh, I'm going to uh, just share with you uh, for a minute. It's a communion Sunday, so I don't have a lot of time. Uh, I'm going to make, <coughs> uh, make this suggestion that maybe the scriptures would be a good place for us to start to fill our hearts. Uh, John Wesley uh, said that, and supposedly we're people who come out of that tradition uh, of John Wesley. But he, he said that uh, he's, he talks about the Old Testament and New Testament, the writers of it, and all. And he says, This is what we now style as the Holy Scripture. This is what that Word of God which remains forever. Of which, though heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle shall pass away of the Scriptures. The Scriptures, therefore, of the Old and New Testament is a most solid and precious system of divine truth. Every part thereof is worthy of God, and all together are one entire body. There is no defect, no excess. It is the fountain of heavenly wisdom which they who are able to taste prefer to all writings of men, however wise or learned or holy. So that was John Wesley's opinion on it. Where are we today in this? Well, there was a survey that was commissioned back in February about the time of the General Conference. And in the survey, uh, 540-some United Methodists who were chosen randomly out of a group of 40,000 United Methodists who are not church leaders, They uh, they are members of the church, they attend church, they're not pastors, but they were asked their opinions on, uh, on different things, including their theology and so forth. But here's, uh, here's what they answered to the question. What is most author- the most authoritative source in your personal theology? And they were given different, um, uh, different ways that they would come up with their beliefs. One would be, be through personal reason. One would be through the traditions of the church. Uh, You know, all these different ways they could come. And one would be the Bible. And only 29% of them said that the Bible was the authoritative source for their theology. That just came out of personal experience or reason or traditions they had been taught. But not going back to that source that John Wesley says is the source for our beliefs. So even within the church, we have a problem. We have a problem where we have gone so far away from the scriptures, disrespected the scriptures, I think listened to the culture and said it's not worth it. And so we've tossed it aside. At our annual conference, we had uh, three young people who got up and they did sort of a dramatic uh, teaching around the idea of pay attention to the red letters and The premise was that the reason we have all these disagreements in the church, we can blame it on the Bible. But the red letters where Jesus said things, we can agree on that. So let's stop talking about the rest of the Bible and only pay attention to the red letters. This is actually a movement started by Tony Campolo, who some of you may recognize that name, that's going across through the church and especially among young people. So we're going to divorce Jesus out of his culture, out of his religious beliefs, out of the, his traditions, and we're just going to say, let's just take his words out of context. And we can all agree on that because Jesus talked about love, right? That's all he talked about. He never talked about what we just said. You know, he never talked about evil things, about that people had evil thoughts in their hearts. He never condemned anybody, right? Well, in that passage there, he's, he's judging, he's condemning the Pharisees for their beliefs. Jesus talks more about hell. This is an absolute fact. He describes hell more than any other person in the scriptures. Most of what we know, our concept of hell comes from Jesus. And so I'm listening to this. I had to listen uh, uh, online because it was done in in the laity session. And I was in the clergy session at the time. So I watched this video and I saw we've lost it. We've lost what our articles of religion and the discipline say the scriptures are. We've lost what John Wesley says the scriptures are. And right now we're saying let's reduce it down. We'll throw away all the parts that we can't agree on. And we'll just come to the places where we can't agree. And even there though, we can't agree on it. Not everybody agrees on what Jesus said. So it's it's, it's a sad and crucial time. Not only in our culture but in our church. And because it's a communion Sunday and I don't have much time, what I did for you was I went into the Bible uh, or on, 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 online and I did a search in the Bible on the human heart. And there's over 100 scriptures right here and this is in all of them. But if you would like to have a copy of this, I will give this to you and you can read all the scriptures, what they have to say about the human heart. Uh, Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful. Now, let's remember, we believe, as Christians, right, we believe that Adam and Eve fell in the garden and that sin entered into the world, right? Sometimes I think we've forgotten that and we think that the human heart is capable of perfection on its own, of being good without Jesus, without his atoning blood, without his sanctifying spirit. But this says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Then Proverbs 4 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Watch out for your heart. What's going into your heart? Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see, this is the problem with the same here, is there's nothing about having a clean heart, is there? It doesn't matter the condition of your heart, just follow it. But we want God to clean the, this heart. One of the, the founding principles, the thing that really distinguished John Wesley in his preaching and in his teachings was the idea of sanctification, cleansing of the heart, coming to God and confessing our sins, recognizing that we have fallen away. And that it is only by God's sanctifying power through His Holy Spirit that we can come back and be in His presence, and He offers us by His that to us by His grace. It's a free gift. Come and pray, cleanse my heart, Lord. Create in me a new heart. I'll read just uh, uh, one more here. Uh, Genesis six five. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, this is a short time, it seems, after the garden and the infection of, skin, of sin has gone throughout the world and the earth. And God looked down and he says, My goodness, I can't find a single heart that is turned to good. And then he found Noah, a righteous man in his generation. And then because Noah, of Noah's righteousness, his family was brought along so that they might replenish the earth. Do we have any sense of that in the church today, in, in the world today? That we've got, a, we've got a heart problem. It's not just a, uh, the environment outside, but it's the environment within that we've got a real problem with. And Jesus Christ is the only answer. And that's my second list. Again, well over 100, and it could go on much further than that, that Jesus is the only way. I can't believe back in seminary when I was down at Duke, we had a long, long debate about whether or not Jesus Christ was the only way to heaven. You know, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And then Paul says... And actually says that there is no under name under heaven by which we must be saved. And then I've got all these scriptures here, which uh, say that over and over and over, and I'm wondering what's wrong with our ears and what's wrong with our hearts, that we can't hear what the scriptures are saying here. First so, uh, Timothy, "For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Romans ten nine because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If our hearts are going to be clean, it's only through Jesus Christ and the word of God that points us to him. You know, there's an interesting thing when pastors and there are Christians and there are people who believe that, that any way you want to go, you can get to heaven. That salvation can be found in others than Jesus Christ. But my question for you, it doesn't make much sense to me that God would send his son to die such a painful death on a cross if we could get to heaven anyway. Why in the world would Jesus die on a cross? Was God unaware of it? Was it a surprise to him that you could come through other ways? Why would he do such an illogical, cruel thing to have his son come and die for our sins If it wasn't necessary. So these are the things I ponder (laughs) when I come against something like this. Let your heart be your compass. Where is the logic? Like I say, even uh, psychologists look at that and say that's bad advice. But it's all we're left with if we abandon Jesus Christ in this world. We're lost and we're wandering, we're going our own way. And in the end, we have nothing. Folks, there's good news in all of this. There's the good news that Jesus Christ invites you to come and to know him. And he will clean out your heart. You may still struggle. It takes a while to clean out all those rooms of the heart. There will be rooms that, that for years you're going to keep dirtying up and Jesus is going to have to be coming back in and cleaning them up. But that's what he wants to do because he loves you. And there is still hope for the, in this world if the message of Jesus Christ, as long as it, as it is being proclaimed, there is hope for this world. But we have to be the ones who share that with others. We come to His table this morning remembering that He died for us, that He shed His blood, that He gave His body. We come to this table this morning confessing our sins, and we come to this table this morning knowing that there is nothing we can do to earn forgiveness of the sins, that this is where we find that forgiveness and that salvation. I invite you to come to the table and to come with a heart that you are asking God not to just accept, but to change. May it be well with your soul this day. May your faith in Jesus Christ be such that you anticipate that at any time, the sky, the clouds will be opened up, the sky rolled back, and we will see his face. Pray for that great day in the name of Jesus. and Amen.